God told me to start this church, so therefore we're going to do it. That doesn't lead anybody anywhere. So there's a directional aspect of vision, like where are we going, who are we reaching, that kind of thing. But there's also an emotional side of vision in terms of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of things on earth that are not the way they are in heaven. But what is it specifically that the Lord is burdening your heart about? What needs to change on this earth to be more like heaven? And how is your church going to go after that? What are the ingredients to planting a church? No, I didn't say a vegetable garden. I said a church. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today we welcome Jarrett Jamison, who actually has been on this program before, right, Jarrett? That's right. You were here with Aaron Campbell. That's right. We were here with Aaron Campbell about the PCCNA family picnic for racial reconciliation. Sure was. We're going to talk about a new book you've written. And before we do, let's just talk a little bit about where you are right now. You are the faith supervisor at Agape Child and Family Services. Agape, wow, over 50 years of doing ministry in our community. Yes, yes. Having a great time out there with Pastor Dan Henley and the Faith Formation Engagement Team. Blessed to be there. There's an incredible team over there, isn't there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> David Jordan, our leader, and all of the staff, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the caliber of people that, that uh, come and serve there. He keeps just grabbing these quality men and women of God to come join the team. Yes, sir. You know, kingdom work right here in our community. That's right. Did you grow up here in Memphis? I grew up in Sladen, Mississippi, and uh, my parents both worked in Memphis uh, their whole lives. My mom retired from Matter and so uh, yeah, we've uh, we've been connected to the city for a long time. But grew up out in the country. Did you get free bus rides? <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have. They did some bus rodeos out there that I got to participate in. You know. Also, something I noticed: pastoral counselor at Bobby Scott and Associates Professional Counseling. That's correct. Well, tell me about that. Yeah, I did a year long uh, residency out at Methodist Hospital. My undergraduate was in psychology. Done pastoral counseling, obviously through the ministry and. Bobby Scott is a Christian counselor in South Haven. We connected. I do pastoral counseling, so I can't take insurance. I'm not licensed or anything like that. But uh, marriage counseling, counseling from a biblical perspective, and folks who are uh, you know willing to come and just pay out of pocket, I, I try to help in that way. And then we just try to connect with pastors in the area to make sure that we can minister to them and to their congregations. Boy, I tell you, if we're living in an age that needs proper counsel, yeah. would you say we're living there now? Oh, wow, yeah, and it's just increased since the pandemic, for sure. A lot of depression? Yes, yes. Well, you have this new book, 101 Things Not to Do When Starting a Church. You excited about it? I'm very excited, yes. It was, a, it was a long process, but very glad to have one of the books in my hand here. I've got it right here, so it took a long time to get that. Yes, sir. <laughs> you dedicate this book to your wife, Carrie, and mm-hmm. something you say, as a church planter's wife, you have shown incredible courage and spiritual depth. You have sacrificed more than anyone will ever know to follow me as I follow the Lord. Yes, yes. And I tell you what, you got to be commended because that's the great place to start is your partner and yes. commending her for her faithfulness to join you in this venture. That's right. When they do um, kind of pre-screening on church planners, one of the things they look at is the quality of the relationship, the marriage relationship, because if anything will sink a church plant, it's trouble with uh, the the marriage relationship, for sure. And so Carrie's been a, 
a rock. For and I guess not just a church plant, but even if, as a pastor, anybody sure. in the ministry, that's right. You've got this covenant relationship between man and woman. You got to be on the same page. Yes, yes, and it's uh, it, it's vital that you be on the same page with each other and with the Lord for sure. When you first met Carrie, were you already ministry minded together? You were already talking about moving in a direction of serving Christ full time? Yes. So I met her as a speaker at a uh, youth retreat. She was a chaperone. I was the speaker for the camp that week. And so she knew right from the beginning what she was getting into, that I had a call on my life, but she's never failed to to follow me as I follow Christ, like I said. So uh, I'm very blessed to be married to her. Now, I believe you're also a graduate of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right. Was there some other training seminary-wise? or Not not any other seminary. Mid-America is where I got my Master's of Divinity. And then, like I said, I did uh, clinical pastoral education out at Methodist Hospital for a year. And so that's my, that's my training background. So when you were preparing for seminary, preparing for ministry, when I was in Bible college, professors said, a call to the ministry is a call to prepare, you right, know, and, to, right. and to be ready for that. Right, and I think that's some pretty good advice. Yes, absolutely. And part of why I wrote this book was because back in 2016, when uh, we were starting, there was a lot of theological education, which is very important. I don't discount that at all, but. In terms of knowing what to do and to be trained to start a church from scratch, if you grew up in a church, it's like all these things just happen. You know, the money goes into the offering plate and somebody counts it and, you know, this this is done, the bulletins are done, this is done. And, and when you've not ever started anything from scratch like that, it's just that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I wanted to fill in the gaps uh, beyond the theological education, you know, the practical how-to what do you not need to leave out? The so. nuts and bolts. That's right. That's that right. can easily get overlooked. Yes, sir. You know, as you're walking through a call to plant a church. That's right. Did you actually pastor a church prior to trying to plant churches? Well, I had been on staff at a church, but I'd never been the senior pastor. And so, yeah, I, I went for the all-in-one, went for the gusto. Let me be a senior pastor for the first time. Let me be a, a church planter for the first time. I did it all at once. Yeah, it would probably be a good idea to have senior pastor experience before you start a church, but I did not. Just jump straight in. <laughs> well, you know, if you're following what you believe is the voice of God— and I think that's that difference by walking by faith. You know, I was reading in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus sent out the 12 two by two. Right. says he gave them authority. Yes. And sometimes I'm wondering if we as Christ followers are living and walking in the authority that Christ has given us. Yes. Instead of wanting the approval or making sure everything's you know, working out in the eyes of man before right. we move forward. Right. Yes. And I speak about that in the book, uh, the importance of being able to follow the promptings of the spirit. Um, you know, it, it's just so Im- important that you be in the word, but also know that the Lord speaks to you, that he prompts you. And when you say, Jared, there's a kind of a, a fine line there because we all are to be under authority. Yes. You know, we're not talking about just doing a solo act. No, no. Adventure, but having you know, accountability, prayer, seeking God's face. Yes. We talked about wise counsel. That's important. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In the book, I I talk about mentors. I talk about the importance of being under authority. Even a church that is going to start in a non-denominational fashion, I really believe it's important that you be in relationship with older, wiser pastors who can give counsel to you. It doesn't just need to be, as you said, a Lone Ranger yeah. solo event. So, yeah, that's so important. What's the biggest unknown, would you say, in planning a church? The biggest unknown, this is becoming more known, but 
church planters have said, you know, church planting is harder than I thought it would be. It's lonelier than I thought it would be, and it takes longer than I thought it would. And so the books are written typically by people who start a church, and it quickly grows to like 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. So the success stories are what you hear. But the truth is the average church is under 80, under 50, really, around the world. 80% of churches are, are 80 and under. The reality is many, many churches that start are not going to have that story. They're not going to just start with a core group and then immediately grow to 1,000 or 500 or whatever it might be. So when you're in that labor and you're in those first few years, it can be very lonely, it can be very hard, and it takes a lot longer than what you thought it would. So yeah. uh, those are things that I think people are more coming to understand, but especially um, until you've been in that it's really hard to understand how those three things really come together. Jared, are there differences in leadership qualities from someone that, say, pastors a church already established to that pastor who is seeking to plant a church? Oh, definitely. The pastor planting a church has to have that pioneer-type spirit. You're starting something from scratch, and so you've got to have a clear vision. You've got to have the ability to galvanize people and help them understand that vision, and you've got to be able to raise up leaders. And so many times when you come into an established church, you'll already have vision, you'll have structure, and so you have to move uh, in some different ways. You ha- it takes a different skill set. But yeah, the the pioneering leader is definitely something that that is necessary to start a church. Again, when I was assessed, uh, they look at your past history. Are you a person who's been starting things? Have you have you been a person who's ever started a business? Have you ever started a ministry? Have you ever started a Bible yeah, study? Yeah. They look at those things because that is so important. You need that pioneer spirit for sure. Your book, One Hundred and One Things Not to Do When Starting a Church. Have you actually experienced each of these 101 things? Unfortunately, yes. That's how the book <laughs> works, is, is I really wanted to save um, and, and pastors, church planners, even young pastors, I would say, maybe that they're in their first church and they're, they're a senior pastor for the first time. I wanted to save them from making some of the knuckleheaded mistakes that I made just because I was young and really didn't know any better. And so, uh, unfortunately, yeah, most of these I have firsthand experience. I've done it the wrong way, and so uh, if I'm a subject matter in anything, I, I thought about it, and I'm like, I'm a subject matter expert in what you shouldn't do when you start a church. So that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to help people just, just understand what not to do. So sure. you couldn't think of 102 things? Be- <laughs> <laughs> There's something about that 101. Uh, it's a magic number. I, I've read some other books where, you know, if you're writing 101 prayer requests, or if you get to that 101, it really helps you breakthrough kind of uh, creatively. So I like that 101 number. Well, the first thing you talk about in the book is don't start without a compelling vision. Yes. Where and how do you develop this vision? That's a great question. So I really like the vision definition that Bill Hybels uses, which is vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in you. One thing to distinguish, and we talked about this in this chapter, a vision for the church is different from a call from God. I had a call from God. I knew I was supposed to start the church, and that's necessary, but that's not the same as vision. In other words, you can't say to people, God told me to start this church, so therefore we're going to do it. That doesn't lead anybody anywhere. So there's a directional aspect of vision, like where are we going, who are we reaching, that kind of thing. But there's also an emotional side of vision in terms of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of things on earth that are not the way they are in heaven. But what is it specifically that the Lord is burdening your heart about? 
what needs to change on this earth to be more like heaven, and how is your church going to go after that? And that's so important. And if I could speak really clearly on that, God's put in my heart addiction, recovery ministry, that kind of thing. I have a long track record of that in my family and my wife's. What we did was we crafted a vision statement to to reach the most broken people and lead them in a total life change through Jesus Christ. Well, most broken people can be a lot of different segments. That could be the mentally ill. It could be divorce. I mean, it could be a a million things. If I were doing it today, what I would do is really hone in on the recovery aspect that God had put on my heart. We would start a church, maybe practicing Celebrate Recovery or something like that that really uh, went after the family members and the addicts themselves, and that would have been our core group and our initial thrust. Of course, we would have wanted to minister to everybody, but because our vision was cloudy, you know, because it was like, well, we're just trying to reach everybody who's hurting, it caused a lot of frustration, and, and people couldn't follow it very well because it wasn't clear enough. So having it clear is extremely important. The Scripture says, write the vision down so that the runner may be able to run, and Habakkuk, right? So if you don't write it down and you can't communicate it in a clear way, nobody can run with it. What are the specifics in researching a community? That's one of the things you talk about. Yeah, I talked about researching the community, and this is something I learned, but uh, it's so important to get qualitative and quantitative data. So we focus on the quantitative data, the numbers, right? The the census report, uh, what what the um, uh, Chamber of Commerce might have on your given city and things of that nature. But you have an opportunity before you start a church to go in and sit down and do what we're doing now interview people, talk to the the mayor, talk to different people in the city, real people who live there. And in doing that, two things are going to happen. You're going to get a feel for the city. Your prayers will get clearer because you know what's actually going on, where the hurts and hangups of the city are. If, if you're a missionary and you're going to a foreign country, you identify bridges and barriers to reach that culture. Right. And that's all we're talking about is taking the time to really get to know some people and let them know you're a learner. Hey, I'm, I'm here to learn. Who else would you put me in contact with so I can really understand Olive Branch, which is where yeah, we were, or whatever right. city it is? Yeah. It's important that you take that time to really know that city. Obviously, when you're starting a church plant from scratch, finances are an important thing. Oftentimes, yes. I'm sure the church planting family has to maybe work a job, you know, maybe a denomination or somebody's helping to fund or fuel their resource, but maybe not. Maybe there's a limited amount of resources coming in. Is it difficult to ask people to invest financially? And what's the best approach do you feel for doing that? It is difficult. I've never met a pastor that just says, honestly, yeah, I just love asking people to invest in God's kingdom. Uh, It's difficult. But the best thing that helped me with it is, um, you got to get clear theologically on why that's important. You need to know from Scripture, why are we in asking people to invest in God's kingdom? Why do people give to missions or their, their church or anything else? Yeah. And once you get clear on that yourself, then you can communicate and realize you're not asking for people to invest, whether it's the core group or people from outside the church, so that you can go do great things or have a new boat or whatever. You're asking that so that they can redeem that time so you don't have to work a second or a third or fourth job so that you can take that time and invest it in the kingdom through that church plant. My favorite resource is uh, one of them is the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's just a very quick book. It gives you a deep theological understanding of why you ask people to invest in the kingdom. And once the church planner gets clear on that and once you begin to ask, 
it takes some guts to do that. Yeah, it takes some yeah. guts, and, and God uses that because you're going to be asking people to make big commitments for the rest of the time you're a pastor. I mean, this is an every week thing, asking people to step over the line of faith, asking people to invite their friends to serve, to volunteer, to commit to the church, whatever it might be. And so uh, asking people to give financially is just another one of those big asks, yeah. and it's clear, it's, it's important you be clear theologically why you're making that ask. That helps. Yeah. Jared, do you see maybe the lines getting blurred sometimes between being the pastor and being the CEO of a major corporation? It is interesting. There are aspects of it that are the same. There are also aspects of it that are very different, right? And so that's what makes it difficult. Does that get in the way of a pastor preaching the Word, doing what he feels called, and equipping the saints. It it definitely does. I I talk about, again, in the book, there's three people I've identified, pastors wiser than me. Pastors usually have one of three lanes that they're really talented or gifted in, I would say, from the Lord. Some are preaching, some are gifted with people, and some are gifted with administration. So people, preaching, administration. Typically, a pastor will have two out of those three. So you'll have some pastors who are gifted with administration and preaching, or administration and people. I was people and preaching. Those are my giftings. And so administration is not my thing. For that reason, talking about the CEO and things of that nature, yeah, you need someone, if that's not your gifting especially, who can come in and lift that burden because the thing is, bills got to be paid. Once you get staff, there's insurance, there's all those kind of things, there's all those matters. And so there are definitely situations and there are, are, are issues that are just the same for a pastor as for a CEO. But the primary call of a pastor is to be a shepherd, and we talk about that in the book. So that's totally different, really, from a CEO. That call needs to be uh, fulfilled. So you don't need to let those other things get in the way of being the shepherd, being the disciple maker that God's called you to be as a pastor. How much time in prayer, time alone with God, with not only you, your wife, but that core group of people who are trying to plant this church, how important is that? It's very important. Before you have a core group, you need a prayer team, obviously, beyond that. And I think that prayer team needs to really stay with you for a couple of years. Your private devotional time, I'll have a chapter in there about that. Back when we were starting, I would get kind of frustrated when, you know, you've been in seminary, you you know, I'm supposed to be in the Word, I'm supposed to be in prayer. And so when people would start talking about that, I was like, I'd say in my mind, you know, this is terrible. But I'd say, all right, we know that. Get to whatever you're going to talk about. Like, what do we need to go do? But I realize now on the other side of this, the reason that we're we're encouraged to remember to be in prayer, remember to be in the Word, and to do that with your core group and with others, just like people need know they need to exercise, they know it, but they don't do it. And it's the same with these spiritual disciplines. Every person who's had training or is, has been through seminary, we know we're supposed to take that time for ourselves to be in the Word, to be in prayer, and with others. But what happens is you get into the grind of ministry and all the things that need to be done, and, and sometimes you neglect that. And so we talk about that. Personally, that was something that I always did. I wish we would have started earlier with the core group. Made a lot of mistakes with the core group, but I wish we'd started earlier really developing those patterns of prayer, to yeah. be honest with you. But that's vital to starting a church. What did you wrestle with the most when writing this book? 
believe it or not, the the content came pretty quickly. The content came pretty quickly. And this is just a not a not a fun answer. But getting everything aligned, I'd never written a book before, right? Getting all the margins right. Uh, we had uh, we we went through two publishers before we actually published the book. So there were a lot of holdups, and I just prayed the whole time. I believe this. I was saying, Lord, when you're ready for this book to come out and it have maximum impact and make the most difference for the kingdom of God, I'm believing you're going to let it do that. And so a thousand and eight days is how long it took from the time I penned the first word until I got the book in my hand. And so that's quite a long time, but that was honestly the hardest part. The content was not as difficult to come by for sure. You say don't launch a new church without a one-year plan. So what should that plan include? The one-year plan is so important because you're not going to have time when you first start to do a lot of the things that you can typically do in a traditional church. You need a one-year preaching calendar, and, and some guys have trouble with that. There's a, there's a resource I would recommend by Nelson Searcy that helps you with a preaching calendar. You need to sit down with a group of other people, pray together, brainstorm, look at the calendar, and get a preaching calendar together. That's going to help you be able to plan your, your media. It's going to be able to help you plan your evangelistic outreaches around that, all of that. And so from that calendar, then you'll need those big events, those evangelistic outreach opportunities. So you don't want Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day. You don't want these dates to sneak up on you. Those things need to be on the church calendar even prior to launch. And you'll be talking about them with your core group. Hey, how are we going to make Mother's Day special? How are we going to make Easter special? How are we going to make Christmas special? So even before there's a public launch, if you can have an events calendar, an outreach calendar, and a, uh, a preaching calendar, it's going to help you so much because you'll be able to save some time that's not going to be there yeah. that first yeah. year. Yeah. You know, with all of the outreach and all of the follow-up you'll be doing with new people coming in and things of that nature. Jarrett, you say don't forego facing your fears. What have been some of your fears, and how have you faced those fears? Great question. One of my greatest fears was that people would leave me for whatever reason, That is something God identified pretty early that was a fear of mine. The way that fleshed itself out was that I had issues having difficult conversations with people. So anytime that I would see a conversation kind of going towards conflict or like there needs to be a correction here, there needs to be something difficult said, I would pull back from that conversation. It wouldn't have the hard conversation because I was scared that the person might leave. And so the way God handled that with me, uh, he spoke to me very clearly. This is several years into the church. And he said, I'm going to heal you of this. I'm going to give you lots of conflict, (laughs) and you're going to work through this. And unfortunately, that's one of the ways you face it. You know, any fear that you have, as long as it's big in your head and you imagine it to be this big thing, it can have power, right? But when you just start stepping into that thing over and over again by God's grace and with his help, eventually after you've done it many, many times, it's like something <laughs> triggers and you say, okay, this is not really as big as I've imagined it to be. So that was what it was for me. And that can be applied to our life anytime. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Something I think we need to mention, don't neglect your family. That's yes. so important. Absolutely. We were fortunate when we started the church that we didn't already have children. But even with my wife, with Carrie, I was so consumed by the church that that's all I want to talk about. It's all I want to think about. It's all I want to do. And she really helped me with that, gave me boundaries with that. It took some time, honestly. It wasn't something that came quickly. 
But you need very early on to be talking with your kids, your wife, about what are your boundaries going to be, because you're never going to get everything done the first year of a church, the second year of a church. I mean, even as you're pre-launch, things will never be done when you go to bed at night. There's always going to be more on the to-do list. So you just have to make a conscious decision. I need to flip this off, and we need to go camping. We need to play a board game. We need to spend some time together. We need to go on a date night, whatever it might be. That's just vital uh, that you do that early on. You wrap up the book by saying, don't conclude you're a failure if the church fails. That's got to be a tough one there. Yes, sir. The story with Journey is is when God said to me, your assignment is done. I came and spoke to the leadership team about it. We had about 80 people at the time. We're in a rented space. We had just a few leaders at that time. I felt like when I left, some of those leaders weren't going to be able to stay either. So I said to the leadership team, I said, if you all are going to stay and you're going to work through this, all God's told me is that my season is up here. But he hasn't told me what to do. But I feel like if you guys aren't going to help these young Christians, it'd be a disaster for you all to just back out and then they don't have any leadership. I said I would be willing to help close the church if that's what you pray and you decide. They prayed about it, looked at each other. We had a seasoned pastor who was part of our leadership team, a couple of them actually. And they said, yeah, that's the right thing to do is help all these folks find another church home. And so I helped with that. It was really hard, uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever done. But here's what I realized. My identity is in Christ, not in what I do. I still believe, and this book is part of this, that God led me through that journey, that he wanted me to go through those things to learn. I'm a better person for that. I know many others are as well. But yeah, many churches that are started, they're not going to be able to continue. They're not going to be established and continue and become a thriving church. That's the nature of church planning. And so if you conclude that every church planner is a failure, we don't do that in the mission field. You know, if somebody goes on the mission field and they're there and they learn the language and it's hard and they come back, there's nobody who was converted or whatever. We don't say, well, you were a failure. You know, like yeah. nobody was converted. We don't do that on the mission field. And we shouldn't do that with church planners either. So, um, but yeah, you, your identity is based in Christ and who he is, not in what you do. And so there's no permanent failure for a Christian. A righteous man falls seven times, you know, but the Lord brings him up. It's not, it's not a permanent failure if you're a follower of Jesus. Good word there, Jared. 101 Things Not to Do When Starting a Church by Jarrett Jamison. God bless you, Jarrett. Thank you for what you have invested into Christ's kingdom and continue to do through your ministry, through Agape and other counseling opportunities. So how can we get a copy of the book? Well, you can get a copy at Amazon. Just Google 101 Things Not to Do When Starting a Church, and it'll pop up, and you can definitely get one on Amazon. I'll also have some copies, author copies, available here in just a little bit, uh, the 23rd through the 25th of January. They're coming in, so I'd love to sign one for you and send one to you if you're interested. I'm welcome to share my contact information if you'd like or now, whatever. Do you blog, have a website? I, I don't blog or have a website, but I have a website coming soon about this book, hopefully. Yes. Okay. Are you on Facebook? Yes, sir. I'm on Facebook, Jarrett Jamison. You can get me also at jarrett.jamison at agape means love.org. Jarrett.jamison at agape means love.org for sure. Jarrett, this has been great. Thank you, my friend, for stopping by. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. Thanks for joining us. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.